Let's stand as we read from 2 Kings chapter 2. We are uh, going backwards a little bit. I missed a section that someone has been asking me continually about. So uh, we're going to go back and pick it up. And we're going to read 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 14. Let's read through the end, 22. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water and said, Where is the God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then he said to them, Look now. Then they said to him, Look now, there are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. But when they had urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send them. Therefore they sent fifty men, and they searched for three days, but did not find him. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and he cast the salt in there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remained healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you again that you are God. Father, that there is no need that is outside of your ability to answer. There is nothing that is outside of your knowledge, your wisdom, your power. And Father, as we come to this section tonight, Lord, we ask for wisdom and understanding. And Lord, we also ask for encouragement for ourselves, Lord, that we would stay faithful. You are God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And Lord, we want to be your, your faithful servants. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I did not realize we had skipped this section. I just thought we had skipped him coming back into the city. And seeing uh, Don has been asking about it since we started the life of Elisha, I thought we are going to jump back and we're going to do it. So, you remember Elisha, uh, faithful man, that was the characteristic of his life from the moment he was called, he left everything and followed, ready to immediately go. He was from a rich family. He left all his goods, he slaughtered his bulls, uh, boy, uh, burned the, uh, the threshing instruments and the wooden instruments for plowing, for the, the fire to cook them with, fed people and got up and followed Elijah uh, gave up his inheritance, gave up his place in the family, and he became the Lord's man. And for the rest of his life, what we see is a faithful man who follows God. And it's just, I've loved it. I, I, I have enjoyed these two 
individuals and just because they stand in such a dark age and they stand unafraid and God uses them in such a a mighty and abundant way. And you know, where before there was no almost knowledge of the true God had left. By the time these two leave, their schools of the Lord teaching men and women in many of the cities of Israel. And even the foreign kings have had the witness of the Lord, even though Israel has fallen in their duty to be the people of the Lord and to be a witness for God, Elijah and Elisha have stood so firm and been used of the Lord to the point that even the foreign kings know who they are. This is our God. I heard a similar story. Almy's been reading the biography of Elizabeth Elliot. And many of you know that uh, her husband Jim was killed in South America, and then a year later, um, they were, she was offered an invitation to come to the people that had killed her, killed him. And she went down there for a couple of years. And in the old biographies that she wrote, it was a very simple thing. She said, well, I had some disagreements with the lady I worked with, and uh, basically we decided it was better to separate, and so I came home. And such a simple thing. Well, in this new biography, her biographer tells of some of the disagreements and they just, they make your heart ache. They just make your heart ache. And you think, here's a lady that gave her husband, gave her life so that she could take the gospel to these people. And here's God, you know, allowing this conflict to spring up. And, you know, she she ends up leaving. Of course, if you look back at it from the end of her life, he had a bigger ministry, didn't he? He had a linguist there. He had people all over the world that were praying for this tribe. He had others that were coming, sons and daughters of the other missionaries. And he had a ministry for Elizabeth. And it was a ministry of standing faithful in a dark world. She came back to the United States and would proceed to lead a a ladies' ministry and basically speak truth year after year after year, bluntly and plainly to the youth of our land. And I just think, you know, we look at something and we don't see what's going on, but God does. And we look at Elisha and it, you know, it would have been easy to have thought how dark the times and look, here God has left and all of this and Elijah has left. And yet God is not done working. God has chosen a faithful man and he is going to use him. We don't really need to start uh, with Elijah, but let me just give you the highlights. You remember uh, Elijah had prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain for three and a half years. That's a drought. And at the end of it on Mount Carmel, he prayed that the Lord would turn the people's heart back to the Lord. And they appeared to turn. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God, they said, after they saw the fire come down. But what we do not see is we do not see them returning to the true worship of God. And we do not see the sons of the prophets being supported well. Instead, we we see poverty and we see troubles throughout the land as even though the people had said the Lord, he is God, they're not really ready to go all the way to the Lord. And there's something in that for all of us, too. 
we have to understand that when God calls, he calls for all of us. Not just a little bit, but he calls for us to turn and to come to him with all of our hearts and all of our souls. Um, Elijah went through the rest of his life. At the end, he stood, he stood uh, against King Ahaziah. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 1, you remember, he said, Thus says the Lord, because you sent messengers to inquire of Baal Zelbub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to require of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from your bed to which you have gone up. You shall surely die. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And of course, at the end, Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha sees him. He's granted a double portion of his blessing. And starting at verse 14, uh, we see that he takes up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. He struck the water and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He had been promised a blessing by God, had he not? Or by Elijah, he said, if you see me being taken up, then God will grant your wish of having a double portion. And again, if you remember, I said that idea of double in the Hebrew, that normally meant like a twin. I want the same portion. I want a double portion. It meant I want the same thing you've got. And God gave him the same blessing in twice the amount, twice the length of ministry and twice the miracles, it appears to be very nearly at least. Um, you can't outgive God. You just can't. We come to God and we, we say, Lord, I'm here. Take me, use me. Do with me what you want. You can't outgive him. You ask for a blessing, and if you're faithful, God will pour it out on you abundantly. So Elisha strikes the water. The water is divided this way and that, and Elisha crosses over. And uh, I just, as I was studying this, I, had to, I asked myself, I, you know, who else crossed the water going into the land of Canaan this way? Not with a mantle, mind you, but the water divided. Joshua. Joshua. And, uh, you know, in Joshua 1.8, God tells Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And boy, don't you see Elisha using, I mean, just going forward, following the Lord. And his whole life is blessed by the Lord standing behind him. He is going to be the man that speaks for the Lord. He is going to stand before kings. He is going to stand before cities. He is going to be known that he is God's man. And that's important because he comes in and the first thing we see happen is we see him met by the sons of the prophet. This is in verse 15. Now, when the sons of the prophet who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and they bowed down before him. Now, this is not bowing down to worship, but this is basically showing that they were under his authority. Uh, We don't see him rebuked for this because there's no worship. But this is similar to a king in the court bowing down around him or as you come in. It's to show respect and to show honor. And here they are, lifting up Elisha, and you're the successor. Here you are. But what happens in verse 16? 
Then they said, Look, now there are fifty strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken them up and cast them upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send anyone. But when they had urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send them. Therefore they sent fifty men, and they searched for three days, but did not find him. So, the, you know, it's, I find this rather interesting. Oh, you're the leader. But hey, <laughs> uh, we really need to go looking for Elijah. Um, maybe God just threw him out of the whirlwind from a great height, and his body is laying on the rocks, or in a valley, or on a mountaintop. And Elisha says, you, shouldn't, you shall not go. And they said, but, 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 but. And they continue to argue until he's ashamed. Now, he's not ashamed. He's not, he's not doubting God. He saw God take his master up in a whirlwind. And I don't believe Elijah was being twirled around on a merry-go-round as he went up. I think he was in the middle and just ascended. I mean, he was taken to heaven. And uh, Elisha's in, not, got no question. But they're making him actually feel ashamed that he's not even willing to look and the master's body might be laying out there on the, on the mountains. And he's not ashamed. He, he knows the body's not there, but he's, he's ashamed to be seen as someone who doesn't care. They're, they're continuing to push. Oh, you're the master, but you're going to do it my way. We, we need to go. We, we really need to go. And uh, that kind of gives you an idea of what the, the next two things that are going to happen, all right? It's important to understand that everyone saw that Elisha was the man who washed Elijah's hands and feet. He carried his water. He was his servant. And now God has exalted him. And, you know, we look back from the, from the past history. We, we've seen it all. We look back at the life of Elisha and we go, Wow. Did God really bless him? You know, he got that double portion in spades. But the people? Yeah, there's, there's some doubt. I mean, he's definitely been the one that Elijah appointed, but we'll see how this young guy turns out. We don't know a whole lot about him, right? So there's some, there's some question. Uh, you know, I, I don't think if Elijah had said, you will not go, they would have said, yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, he's the one who called down fire from heaven. But <laughs> this is Elisha. He's just the servant. Let us go. So he goes. Uh, so their first act is to question his authority. They go search for Elisha or Elijah. And Elisha says that they may go. And it's their love that sends them. I, you know, you, you got to... There's some things that are wrong, but there are some things that are right, too. It's their love for the prophet that God has used. Um, verse 18, when they came back, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say, do not go? All right? So now he's, this is a little bit of a correction. Here's the sons of the prophets, and they haven't listened. And they've went, and he allowed them to go. But now after three days of searching, three days with 50 men that have, of course, not found anything, he says, did I not say, do not go? Uh, the point is, is there. I'm speaking for the Lord. 
Then the men in the city said to Elisha, verse 19, Please notice the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. Now, again, God is setting everything up. This lowly servant of Elijah has come back in and he's got, he's got a tale to tell. We're going to see that later, right? He said God took Elijah to heaven in a whirlwind. That's, that's quite a story. There's only been one other person in the whole history of the world that God took, and that was Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not because God took him. He walked with God and walked right into eternity with God. So we've only had two individuals. So, I mean, I can see that this is a little hard to believe, but this is the man of God speaking, and God is setting things up so that Elisha can be established as the man of God. So Elisha answers. He has this, I don't, I don't want to say test, but this opportunity to show that he is speaking for the Lord. The, the water is bad. It's, it's causing infertility in the animals and even in the ground. It's destroying the crops. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the source of the water and he cast in the salt there. And he said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it, there shall be no more death or barrenness. Now, I don't think this has anything to do with the salt being a preservative and actually cure, you know, killing the bacteria that's in the water. It was probably a mineral of some sort. Could have been something even like arsenic or, or lead that, you know, as the spring bubbled out, it picked up this source in the water. I don't think we need to look for a natural explanation to why the salt healed the water. The Lord healed the water. He changed the water. It went from being bad water to being good water. Uh, And you notice again, Elisha, we've seen this throughout his life, but here at the beginning, he starts out on the same foot, thus says the Lord. It isn't me. You know, he's like, he could have said, I have healed this water, or this water will be good. No. He understands who he is and whose he is. He was the servant of Elijah. He was faithful in washing his feet, washing his hands, carrying water, and wouldn't leave him until God took him to heaven. And now he's God's servant. It's a promotion. But the job is still the same. He is to be a servant and to be faithful. He says, so the water, and verse 22 tells us the answers. So the water remained healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. And there you have it. The leaders of the city come. We have this citywide problem that we have. The water's bad. Elisha tosses the salt in. God speaks on the behalf of God, and the water's cured. His credentials have been established. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22. But a prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I did not command him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing did not happen or come to pass, then that is a thing which the Lord has not spoken. That prophet who spoke it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. He shall surely die. 
All right? Being a prophet of the Lord was no small calling. There were no mistakes allowed, period. When you spoke in the name of the Lord, it had to be 100%. And so here we see this opportunity. As the leaders come, Elisha makes his pronouncement, and we see the waters clearing up and life coming out of them. And again, there's pictures there of, you know, the purifying effect of the word of God as it comes in and the, the life-giving spring of life in the, you know, from the Lord and through his word. I don't think people recognized it. They just simply looked at Elisha and said, okay, this is the Lord's man. And I don't think all of them did. We start then with the account that we really are kind of looking to get to. Then he went up to Beersheba, or Beth, I'm sorry, then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. All right, now we've, we read this, so you remember, he's going to curse them, the bear's going to come out of the woods and maul 42 of them, I think it was. And uh, we want to start with something. How old were these youths? Well, if you look in the different translations, we have small boys, little children, and use used. In other words, there's a lot of words for this. I want to read you something. This is taken from Answers in Genesis. They had a, a website, and it talks about the Hebrew words that were used here. The Hebrew words used from Elisha's detractors, including the Hebrew word katan, or nahar, and yeld which was Hebrew Strong's number, okay, we don't need that, translated literal, little, and translated children, and another one for children, respectively. Katan means small in size, uh, small in quantity, size, number, age, status, or importance. Okay, it means all of that, small in importance, Small in statue, small in age, small in number. Thus, we see it used to describe, and this is all from the Bible, a cake, a cloud, cloud the size of a man's hand, a room, a city, a finger, as well as the younger daughter of a marriageable age in Laban's household, his small daughter, and the youngest son of Jacob, Benjamin, uh, who was a grown man, this word even was used to describe Saul, a very tall man, below in statue at the time God anointed him king over Israel. Uh, Nahar means a boy or a girl, servant or young man. It's a word that can cover a range of ages from infant to young adult. Yael also likewise means a boy, child, son, or young man, especially somebody's offspring. In seeing how these words were used throughout the Old Testament, these are the ones for child, we see that it's translated little child, this that's translated little child is used to describe the young rebel Hadad the Edomite in 1 Kings eleven fourteen through 17, who fled Solomon's kingdom and married the Pharaoh's sister in Egypt. Doesn't sound like a little child to me, huh? The, concubine, uh, the combination is also used by Solomon to refer to himself when he prayed for wisdom after becoming king. That same combination of those two words. That's in 1 Kings 3.7. 
Thus, we can already see that the phrase little child being used in the King James translator to refer to relatively young or could refer to relatively young or immature grown men. Nayar is also used to refer to David, the mighty man of valor described above and all his brothers, as well as David's son Absalom as he led the civil war. The field hands in Boaz's field and a number of soldiers throughout the Old Testament. The word describes Joseph at age, 18, at age 17 in Genesis 37, Isaac at age 25 to 28 on Mount Moriah, and one of the spies in, Josh, uh, in Joshua, along with Yael, the young man who gave Rehoboam such lousy advice in 1 Kings 12. So now that these terms, they're very, very broad terms. And while the translators have chosen different terms, some say little children, some say youth, some say uh, child, or what was the other one? Small boys. It really does not, uh, necess- ne- it's not a necessary factor for them to be young in age. They could have been teenagers and uh, have set up a game or something to tease Elisha. We don't know. We don't know. But it's interesting to hear that. Now there's, uh, notice what they're saying as well. What are they saying? Go up, you bald head. There's two parts to that. The first part is what? Go up. What does this show? No, go up. What does it show? Who just went up to heaven? Elijah, he had come back and he had told the sons of the prophet and probably others, Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. God took him. That's an amazing thing. God did not tell Elisha not to tell it. And there was some question about whether or not they would find the body, even by those that supposedly believed in the Lord and were followers of Elijah and Elisha. And within the city... I think we see a general tone of mocking. All right, now, depending on how old these kids are, this is probably what they heard their parents say. You know, this is what some of the, you know, I've, I've seen this. You have a little child comes up and she says, well, I know this and this and this. And you're looking at her going, oh, I know exactly what mom and dad told her, <laughs> talked about last night, right? You, you've had times like that. And I don't know if they were real young or older, but I think they were listening to people talking about Elisha. And they were questioning whether or not this thing could be. You know, he's just the servant. He's getting a big head. Wants to be the one in charge. Wants to stand in Elijah's shoes. I, I don't know all that. But you see the kids coming out. And again, I I tend to think this is not little kids. This is somewhere to young teens. Probably anywhere from 10 to to 14, 15. Um, Could have even been older than that. But just the, the way that all of them gang up together. They take what they've learned. They go out and they start to taunt the prophet. Go up. And the second part of this is you bald head. Okay, this was a mark of disrespect. And uh, the disrespect 
you know, obviously God, uh, it was considered a sign of, uh, I don't know, not being blessed maybe to have lost your hair. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. It was a sign of honor to have a, a white head or a silver head of hair. And so to have lost your hair, to have been bald, was kind of the opposite of that. It was a, a lack of humility. Uh, many of the people shaved their heads when they wanted to humble themselves in sackcloth and ashes. They would shave the hair. The Nazarites would shave their heads when they took their vows. And it wasn't just to be clean. It was to humble themselves in front of the Lord. So they, they start to mock Elisha for his hair, and they start to say, go up, you bald head. And they're taunting him. Now, this is the man that God has chosen. This is the man that God has blessed. And Elisha turns around in verse 24. So he turned around, he looked at them, and he pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Now, I don't think he called for bears to come out and kill them. I don't think he did. I think what happened is he said, may the Lord judge you. May the Lord judge you. Remember, God is establishing his authority and the authority of his messenger. Whenever we see the miracles, particularly in the Old Testament, there's a couple of them scattered around that don't fit this, but you'll notice a pattern. Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, does a lot of miracles in Egypt, taking the people out. And Joshua will do a lot as he brings them in and God gives them victory and and the sun stands still, and he sets up the tribes of Israel and the feasts and all that Moses had commanded. He starts it out, so this is the right way. Let's go on and do it. We see another set of miracles with Elijah and Elisha as they are the prophets, and they are calling the people back to God. They didn't write as much scripture, but God authenticates their ministry with miracles and then kind of dies out. I, I can't think of any that... Isaiah and Jeremiah really did. They, they heard from the Lord several times, and there was some things that happened, but you know, not, not as many like we see here. And then we have Jesus and the apostles, again, writing the entirety of the New Testament, God authenticating that these were his messengers by miracles. I mean, imagine what the church was like when Ananias and Sapphira were caught lying and Peter stands up and says, you have not lied to me. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And God strikes them down dead. You know, of course they feared. The Lord was present and he had appointed and anointed these messengers. So when Elisha is being tormented, and I mean, this is, let's, let's be honest. If you have 20 kids tormenting you, teasing you, it's true torment. Is it not? I've, I've been in Kenya with all me, and we had a gang of street children that were, were going to steal from us. And they got, you know, 10 or 12 of them together. I don't even know if there was 10 or 12. There's probably probably total of that, but six or eight around us, and they started to harass us. And I can tell you that eight children of a 10-year-old variety harassing you is too many for you to stop and you feel intimidated, and you feel you're not sure what's going to happen. One of them pinched Tanya and uh, was going to uh, 
I don't know, we were supposed to jump and then they would steal our packages. I'm sure that was the thought. Well, I jumped a lot quicker than they thought I would jump. And I grabbed the boy and I threw him up and I held him against a wall. And I'm standing there looking around. I just dropped all my packages and I'm, they're right there between my feet. And I'm just waiting, you know, and everybody just scattered. But I can tell you I did that because... I knew we were being set up to be stolen from. I knew they were coming after us. These were not innocent young kids. You have 42 of them that are mauled by these bears. They've been listening to their parents. They come out, they get their friends. There's a small mob following Elisha, taunting him. This is not, you know, a child sitting under a tree who... He he, look at his bald head, you know, who happens to misquote something. This is something, and again, I, I emphasize the parents because I think in God's judgment, God judges us very strictly, doesn't he? And, you know, you, you say, well, I, I bet those parents went back and thought about what they had said a lot. So I think Elisha turns around He curses them in the name of the Lord. He says, may the Lord judge you. I don't think he chose their fate. I think he simply saw their disrespect that the people, and God had just done a miracle there. He'd healed their water. And instead of being thankful, he's being mocked. And he's being terrorized. And so he rebukes them in the name of the Lord. And he turns their judgment over to God. He does it publicly because they've been mocking him publicly. And God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. This is his chosen man who's been faithful, who's been blessed. And as Elijah turns to go back, I don't think it's long at all and the bears are coming out of the woods. God knew what was coming. He had them prepared. And these bears come out and they lay into the children and they maul them. Is everyone dead? I don't know. I don't, you know, people get mauled and survive it. They get slapped by the bear. They get clawed. It doesn't say they all died. But there's no doubt that they were torn apart by these bears. There's no doubt that the people knew that the Lord was real. There's no doubt that this established Elisha on the map. Remember, just a couple of pages back in your Bible, Elijah had been the king. Ahaziah had sent his soldiers to take Elijah and bring him to his bedside. And Elijah had called down fire on 50 soldiers. They were just following orders. But you don't try to tell God what you can do. You come to God and you ask for his help. Now with Elisha, they again, they've they've not really honored him. So God is going to vindicate his name, vindicate his prophet, and he's going to do it in such a way that the guilty ones are punished. And even the parents who allowed this behavior to happen will be punished. Their children will suffer. People ask, what's the lesson here? 
The lesson is I want to be faithful to the Lord. We don't have to worry about what's going on around us. We have to worry about what's between us and God. When you're walking with God, God will take care of you. He really will. Elijah could turn around and say, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord judge you. Whatever he said, this curse, whatever he said, and God did it very visibly, very painfully. Judgment was immediately unleashed on these people because they had not given honor to the Lord God of Israel and to the mouth that God had chosen, the person God had chosen. We have a faithful God, a faithful God who reaches out in love. Now, that's going to sound funny when you think of the bears coming. But understand this. There is only one way of salvation. Only one way. It's through the Lord God. Okay, before this, it wasn't, you couldn't say, you know, through Jesus Christ, he's the way. He hadn't come yet. All the sacrifices and stuff pointed to him. He is that way. But it was through worshiping the Lord God in the way that he had said to worship him. So by standing up in this judgment, such a public judgment of such devastation, and if they were young, let's say they were six. Let's say they were six, six to eight years of age. You go, oh, they don't know any better then it really came from their parents. And then it really, they, you know, now the town knows the Lord God Jehovah lives. He is not to be mocked. He has turned their hearts back with a judgment. You know, the first time it fell on an altar because Elijah prayed. This time it's come down on them in judgment. But it's a, it's a loving thing, too, in the sense that their hearts are challenged. Will I turn back to God? Will I turn back to God? You know, even the, the law and the judgments of God are gifts. They're gifts to help people wake up to the sinfulness of sin. We look at something like this and we think, oh, those poor children. And if God were to judge sin, there's not one person in the world that would survive. Not one young baby, not one newly born baby, not, not young, one young man, one young woman. Only in Christ is there righteousness. And we downplay our sin. It's not that serious. I was talking to someone after the church service. We call it a white lie. We call it a white lie. As if that, adding the word white in front of it, makes the lie of Satan any better. We downplay our sin. And God occasionally pours out a judgment to show us the seriousness of this sin. I think when you see this, that's what comes through. God, Elisha turns around and says, may the Lord judge you. And God does, right then. Woof! He doesn't send a fire which would have killed them all immediately. He sends bears to maul them and teach them a lesson. To bring the fear of the Lord upon them. The Lord doesn't have to do it the same way every time. 
And people went back talking about the Lord of Elisha. For us, we have his word. But we read stories and accounts like this for a reason. So that we don't have to go through the same situation, but we can be called to the Lord and we can see him for who he is. He is worthy of our honor. He is worthy of our lives, our faithfulness. And he is worthy of all the glory that is his. And we will not touch it. Let's stand as we close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we come through this section and Lord, we thank you for reaching out to call people back and to proclaim your name. Father, we are hard-hearted people. And without your intervention, Lord, there would be no hope for us. And yet, Lord, you continue to reach out to us, sometimes in love and sometimes in judgment, to make people awake, to see the consequence of their action. And Father, far be it from us to say that you were harsh. Lord, you are God, and our lives are in your hands. The lives of everyone on this earth is in your hands. And Father, we stand in front of you. They're yours to take or yours to let live. Father, may we take our lives and offer them the way you've asked us to as a living sacrifice to you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen.